0: I think if you don't have butterflies in your stomach, that's probably not a good thing, um, because I think it means that you're, you know, that you're pushing yourself and that you're developing and trying new challenges. Out. I think I've always grown as a leader when I am doing new things, and sometimes the harder things are the things where you get the most rewards. So I, I'm not someone that absorbs a lot of stress. That's probably a, a good thing, but it, it's something that I'm excited about doing and that I love doing. You know, if I can help businesses to grow, that's the only thing that matters.
1: Hi there. In this episode of Leading, a view from the top of one of the largest companies on the planet. Nicola Mendelssohn runs the global group overseeing the vast $100 billion a year advertising business at Facebook, Or should that be Meta, the new name adopted by the social media giant behind Instagram and WhatsApp as it pushes into virtual reality worlds. Business is booming, but so are the critics' voices, especially after damaging leaks suggesting Facebook knew its products contributed to violence and mental health problems. Meta boasts 1.9 billion daily active users, but regulators are circling, asking how it might take greater responsibility for what goes on on its platform. Lady Mendelssohn joined the business in 2013 after 20 years in the advertising industry at firms including Kamarama, Grey and BBH. We discuss Mark Zuckerberg's vision for the future and how he plans to lead the company going forward, coping with cancer in a leadership role and why it's okay to show vulnerability to your team, and surviving and thriving in the male-dominated world of advertising. It's a great episode. Please take a listen and rate and review Leading if you like what you hear. Nicola, welcome to The Leading Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
1: And look, I ask every leader that I uh, invite on here, among other things, the greatest challenge they face today. So let's kick off with that. Facebook is never out of the media. Everyone thinks they know Facebook, or as we call it now, Meta. But what's it like on the inside? What's on in your tray right now?
0: Well, intro is such a big word, and it's a word from the past, actually, so I don't have an intro, but what's on the top of my mind right now? Well, it's always people. It's always about making sure that what I'm doing is about helping the people that I work with to be able to do the very best thing of their job. And yes, at a company like Meta, there is always a very lot of things that are, are going on, and that's part of what's exciting about the role.
1: And the role has changed since we set up this call. You were VP for EMEA and had done that for many years. Now you're leading the global business group that looks after basically all of the advertising business, the client relationships. This is the engine of of the company. Circa $100 billion a year you've got to bring in. So what's changed for you?
0: Well, a lot's changing because at the moment I'm still doing two roles. So I'm still running the business in Amir and also doing the global role. So at the moment, I'm looking to hire someone to do the Emir job whilst also getting to grips with my new role, which will also involve me moving to America. So back to your intro, that's on my intro question at the moment in terms of what I'm looking to do. But yes, I'm excited about the fact that My job globally now is to work with businesses, work with partners, to help them grow and to help make sure that they're getting the very best out of Meta in order to do that.
1: Ultimately, this is a relationship role. It feels very, very externally facing. You know, you have to talk to all of these big brands that want to spend or maybe don't want to spend. You want them to spend a bit more on your platforms. But what does it look like internally?
0: Yeah. Well, it's actually both. So yes, there is a a large external component to the role, but there's a big internal one as well, because it's also about making sure that I'm representing the voice of, of our partners, of our advertisers, of our agencies, back into the business in terms of working with the engineers, working with policy, working with our brand safety teams to make sure we're keeping abreast of of all those issues as well. So it's busy, it's complicated, it involves lots of different time zones and obviously a big focus on the the US as well, which is where a lot of our teams are located.
1: And you've talked about the move, I think you're going to New York. I mean, I guess that's all part of the great adventure. Is it a bit of a shame that these senior tech jobs, people have to gravitate to the States or? Is, is that just the way the world is?
0: No, it, that isn't the way the world is. And actually, I've been very proud that over my eight and a half years at the company, we've really seen the development of the company around the world, and particularly in the UK and also in Europe as well. So earlier in the year, I announced another 5,000 jobs in the UK. And then about a month or so ago, we announced 10,000 roles that we're going to be opening up across the EU. So no, we have a lot of senior leaders all over the world now. but. For this particular role, I thought it was right to be in New York, but I will, you know, like all the roles that I've enjoyed and done, there will be a lot of travel and I love travel, so that's part of the adventure as well.
1: So the, the tags that follow you around, whether you like them or not, the most powerful woman in tech, the most senior member of Facebook slash Meta outside Silicon Valley, where does this new promotion leave you? I guess floating somewhere higher in the ether now. Is power just a bit of a nonsense, do you think, when you're trying to do a, a you know leadership role on a day to day basis?
0: That's not how I think about myself. That's not how I think about the role. It, it's very much about making sure that I, I'm doing the, the work that I need to do, that I'm empowering the teams. And that I, you know, that I'm working now on this next stage of the of the company as well, in terms of how we as a company will work towards building out the metaverse. And you know, that's a big vision that will take place over the next to come to reality over the next five to ten years, building new experiences for people that I think will change the way that we live, the way that we work. And ultimately on the business side, will enable businesses to better serve people. And that's going to have a multiplier effect, if you like, to, on the quality of people's lives.
1: And just finally on on the bigger new role you have now, is there at all an anxiety? I mean, it, there's all these wonderful things the company wants to do, but if you're not making sure that dollars come in the door, the company can't spend 10 billion a year on reality labs and so on. Are these all high pressure environments or is this, do you approach this with any modicum of anxiety at all?
0: I think if you don't have butterflies in your stomach, that's probably not a good thing, um, because I think it means that you're, you know, that you're pushing yourself and that you're developing and trying new challenges. Out. I think I've always grown as a leader when I am doing new things, and sometimes the harder things are the things where you get the most rewards. So I, I'm not someone that absorbs a lot of stress. That's probably a, a good thing, but it, it's something that I'm excited about doing and that I love doing. You know, if I can help businesses to grow, that's the only thing that matters
1: and meta i think this announcement of the rebrand of the of the company and focus of the company i think took a lot of well some people by surprise and i look back and it feels i suppose we always use the word pivot now this is a bit like what the company did post ipo it's strange to think now that as you joined the company in, tw- in 2013 facebook was not particularly a mobile company it was very much a laptop company so is this switch to meta is this investment in virtual realities and so on should we see it through that lens if you like
0: a little bit differently to that and i think there's two things one i think the company has been at many times not just in 2013 when we did make the shift to mobile and this is comes from mark mark's vision to be able to see you know where the tech is going where people are going and to be able to focus resources in order to ensure that you know people were building for what people want the push into the metaverse, which we we alone are not going to be the only ones building this. Lots of companies and developers, entrepreneurs will be responsible for building it. But in many ways, it's a natural evolution of, of what we are as a company, both as a social media company, but also as a, a as a tech company. And what the metaverse is is that it's you know if if the internet today has been kind of looking at something. The metaverse is a much more immersive experience. And I want to be really clear, it's not about replacing things that we do in the real world, but you know, there is a, there is a reality that we do spend time now online, and it's about enhancing the, the time that we, that we spend online in different ways. So if it's, on, if it's in a, from a meeting perspective, how much better to have a meeting? And, and I've already started to experience this in, in one of our products, Horizon WorkRooms, where you can come around a virtual table you can choose the office that you want. I mean, my mine, mine currently or the meeting room, mine currently has the Himalayas in the background. And then, you know, you have that feeling of social presence because you can look, you can hear the voices from different sounds in the way that you do in real life. So you turn left to talk to someone to the left, you turn right, and you can have a much more a kind of stronger conversation, much more realistic conversation where you're not waiting for someone to un unmute, talk back. It's just as it as it is. And that makes things, when you're coming together to create, to ideate together, much stronger and much easier
1: to do. It's clearly a you know, bold announcement and uh, people are, well, you well, know, what, what on earth is this? And I was saying to your colleague before, I think it's not just about the announcement. It's absolutely how you put it into practice and how people understand what it is and, and how it develops and so on. Is there a challenge you see in your leadership role that the company's far, far bigger than it was when you arrived? Is it challenging to get these far bigger organisations to move at pace? or is that not a problem that Meta has?
0: I don't see that as an issue that we have. I think we've always been incredibly agile as a company, and in part that's how we're structured, to allow people to be empowered, to allow people to be able to work on projects and to be able to bring them to life very very quickly. So I think that's part of what's fun at working at Meta.
1: And your management style, how does that plug in?
0: Oh, my management style. Well, I, I hope that people that I work with would describe me as being open, as being, you know, challenging when needed, but also creating an environment where people can come in and, and share what's going on, where the challenges are, and that I could then help them. I think it's developed over the years. If I'm honest, I think I've learned to be more vulnerable, which I think in the past I would have seen as being a sign of weakness. I actually think if, if leaders actually, you know, are able to bring their whole selves to work, are able to talk about things that perhaps in the past might not have been acceptable. What it allows is an environment where the people that work for you actually are able to do the same and you just get you create stronger trust. And I think trust matters. Back to your earlier question in terms of you know, speed. You need trust if you're going to take risks. And so creating those environments are, are important. I also ask a lot of questions. I like to learn, I'm curious. And so I guess that those are some of the things that probably make me who I am.
1: And how was the coming through the pandemic as a leader? I think some people, some bosses took to it very well. And I think some actually saw in the way we're having a conversation now, you know, via Zoom or other platforms, erecting another screen between a leader and the followers actually caused problems. It was difficult to evoke loyalty, difficult to demonstrate that, that you were listening
0: yeah i think i think listening has been absolutely key from a meta perspective i guess we were lucky that we had very strong tech going straight in and we were used to people working in different places but even still i think this has been a challenge for any leader in any organization and so i opted straight away to you know make sure that i was over indexing on on people internally making sure that people were okay and i think we've We've gone through different phases, haven't we, over this last 18 months or so? That first period where everybody the world over was locked at home and wasn't really moving around. That that was optimizing for making sure people were connected and being together and showing deep care and, and listening and also trying to make a sense of fun. That that was and giving, you know, reasons for people to connect and, and come together. I think this period that we're going through now is some of the, the most difficult. As people are emerging out, we've got different offices in different parts of the world, open, half open, not open yet. And so how you deal with that equity between people, I think is a challenge. How you make sure the same people are not talking, that you make an inclusive environment to allow all all to shine, I think have been some of the considerations. But most of all, I've opted to make sure that I've shown up with care for people. I think that's the most important thing.
1: Yeah, one CEO said to me that hybrid booking a diary is a bit like playing Jenga every day because you don't know where you need to be at any one point in time.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And, and I think, you know, the more difficult challenges probably are emerging now as we, you know, as we're working through this bit. My, my favourite phrase from, from a, another CEO was that I feel like I'm living and working in, at home in the office. It's all the same now. You know, I go to bed, I wake up, it, it's all the same.
1: I must address the Facebook papers, whistleblowing and so on. One of the reactions to the meta rebrand was that, oh, the company is doing this to deflect away from criticism about how you operate and these stories about all sorts of things going on on the platform, whether that's, you know, people trafficking hate speech, etc, etc. What's your take?
0: What is being written about is is not the company that I recognize, it's not the company I know. And I think behind it is some sort of assertion that we, you know, we put profit over safety. That just isn't true. The job that we have is to make sure that the people that come on our platforms feel good about the experiences, feel good about the services that we have. And as you said, you know, you started off by talking about my role. We I'm very clear, we make our money from advertisers, from the ads that people put on our platforms. And our partners don't want their ads to be next to harmful or angry content. We have very clear policies and guidelines about what is and what isn't allowed. And we have made significant investments in order to keep people safe on the platform. So we've invested over $13 billion since 2016. We have 40,000 people that are working on safety and security. And I think this is more than any other tech company even if you adjust us for scale. So I don't recognize it. it it's not what we're doing. And, and we're really open as well. I think we're more open and more transparent about the work that we do in this, in this area than, than any other company. That's why we publish quarterly about you know, the, the progress that we're making and, and how we're doing. So that's how I would want people to judge us by.
1: I think the focus now seems to shift. It was a couple of years ago, post Cambridge Analytica, and I think it is now that focus is really on the leadership of the company. You talked about Mark's vision. It doesn't always seem to feel that he shows contrition and, and a willingness to listen. Have we got the wrong end of the stick on him?
0: Yes, you have. Mark is, is an extraordinary leader. He's an inspiring leader. He's a visionary leader. The Mark Zuckerberg that's written about externally is not the Mark Zuckerberg that I see leading this company.
1: To cover this off, some suggestions are that the company is too big to lead. I mean, certainly it's grown a lot, but uh, has it become a a much bigger challenge, do you think?
0: I think the challenges that are being talked about are not just challenges that Meta is looking at. It's also challenges that any companies that are working in the digital space, and that's not just tech companies, are having to think about. And uh, again, at the heart of this, I think it's around, you know, what are the rules and the regulations for the internet? or for the metaverse to pick up some of the earlier things that we were talking about. Again, I want to be really clear here that Facebook is calling for more regulation. We think it's really important. That's not to say we don't have regulation already. We do, but we think there should be more. We think that, and we want to help in this area as well. So I think this is going to continue to be an active conversation with governments around the world over the next few years as well.
1: Oh crikey! Yes, Nick Clegg will be talking about nothing else. He's very, he's very busy, very busy. I think. Look, I mean, one observation I had. I did a book recently on leadership, and I wrote about the decline in in the classic alpha male. You know, you don't see them in the FTSE anymore. You don't have those big diverse companies that you know big conglomerates that put together disparate assets just because the the male CEO wants them to do that. But actually, alpha leadership has, has shifted to to Silicon Valley, and I think it's the mix of I think it's vision matched with you know power through equity, through voting rights and so on. And it feels like that's where the conversation is going. That's where the unease is about some of these Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. Do you think that Meta would have an easier ride if Mark split the role of chairman and CEO, if there was a way of diluting voting stock and so on? Or is that nobody's business but his?
0: Ultimately, we're accountable to our, our shareholders and our shareholders seem to be as excited as we are about the work that we're doing and the shift to the metaverse. I think what you see in mark and i think is a a visionary leader who's painted a very clear path for what the next five to ten years of this company is going to be and i think what you see within the company is a very excited workforce that's really engaged and and really excited i mean the the comments and the excitement that it was one of those moments where you really wish people were together to have been able to experience watching connect together etc but It's a very engaged workforce that's really committed to the vision and the mission of the company, and that that matters as well. And I think that particularly matters in terms of younger people coming into the workforce. They're looking for companies that that do have a vision, that do have a mission, and, and a mission to do good in terms of connecting people, giving voice to communities. Those things matter today.
1: Tell me about the first time you were leading people, Nicola. I note that you joined BBH, Bartle, Bogle, Hegarty, one of the big names in advertising, Boddington's Beer, Levi, Jeans and so on. I guess you weren't in charge of much at all when you joined at the age of 20, but how did it pan out?
0: Yeah, I did. Um, It was an absolute privilege to get a job at BBH uh, in the early 90s as an account exec, fantastic agency. And yeah, no, I, I remember very clearly my first leadership moment and I was very lucky that BBH actually invested in some training for me to give me an indication of what others felt about me. And it was a really good moment to learn something. I was about 25 when I managed somebody for the first time and to talk to me about what my leadership style was like, and that's your kind of your rough and raw stages, isn't it? And how others felt about working with me. And that was really good for me to always think there about how others see, how others perceive. and. I've never been somebody that's not afraid to ask for help and advice. And as I became more senior, I looked around to other people that I admired and respected, people I didn't necessarily know outside of the company. One was an amazing lady called Stevie Spring. And I went and asked her if I could have a cup of coffee with her and pick her brains about how, you know, what things I should know taking on a more senior role. And she was really open and gave me some terrific advice.
1: Well, I was gonna mention Stevie, who uh, know very well, and I interviewed her, of course about this male dominated ad land and how you survive and how you thrive. And she, and she recalls days when the offsite meeting would take place at a boxing match or perhaps in a men's club or something. And they were trying to tell her something. Did you face those similar things and how, I'm interested at the age of 25, when you're leading people, I guess, I would imagine the majority of the people in that team might've been men. And so how how did you come across? How did you project yourself?
0: Yeah, I came across that sometimes I could be a bit forthright, a bit blunt, and how that could make others feel could make people feel a little uneasy so that was useful coaching for me what she talked about was the fact that others would watch all the things about you in terms of how you know you were you were talking about things and just to think through what what the implications of that could be she also gave me the very best piece of advice that anyone's ever given which is that you can't cry and whistle that is true. You actually can't cry and whistle. And sometimes things can get a little bit too much and you can feel a little emotional. But if you whistle, you can't cry, which is true. So you can try that one out after if you like.
1: <laughs> I can't whistle either way. so, so that would be...
0: <laughs> Then you're in all sorts of trouble for uh, for, for that one
1: exactly and I'm looking back at those cuttings from your time through advertising when it was BBH gray and then and then Kamarama. there was something it was particularly in campaign magazine a lot and I think you really I think you played it up a little bit you you were you were characterized there were two things. A great networker, that always comes up, and then a woman who juggles. Now, I'm interested in your view on a woman who juggles. We must have moved on from that. And actually, at the top of the conversation, you talked at bringing whole self to work. I mean, I think leaders now, not just a sharp suit in the boardroom, they're allowed to be humans, they're allowed to have a bit of hinterland and a bit more going on, both men and women.
0: Yeah, well, you know I'm going to hate that, right? And, you know, my husband and I joke about the fact that I'm often asked in conferences, et cetera, how do you do all that you do and have four children? And he's never been asked that question. Mm. That said, I do think it's important that to be able to have conversations around these things because I think there are tips and tricks that people can share with one another that actually can really help people. So there is a balance in terms of how the question is asked but also in in how the advice is given out. And so I'm absolutely all for that, but I do think it should be asked of dads as well as mums.
1: Of course, yeah. On the other point about the networking, I started out writing about advertising, and it seems like there's two halves to this. There's the creatives and there's the the client handlers and so on. And I think you were on the, the client handling side, very much about people, I guess, knowing what they want, helping to to serve their needs and so on. How does that feed into broader leadership?
0: Yeah, well, there's two parts there. I I love the creative world. My whole life, I've been fascinated by creativity in all its guises, film, fashion, advertising, design, and I've always drifted to creative businesses and that change, that so that's always been a motivator for me, but yes, to the point around what is networking? Networking is about people coming together, people learning together, people doing things together. I love being around people. I like meeting new people. I like learning from people. I like being inspired by new people. And so I guess the jobs that I found through my life have been jobs that bring together both of those things, the creativity, but also the ability to meet new and different people at different times and and also to work with different businesses.
1: And you've mentored as well. I think think probably in the way that Stevie is happy to have a cup of coffee, I I suspect you're the same. And there's obviously been uh, uh, digital things as well. I mean, the She Means Business initiative sticks out for one. So are there particular people that you check in on, on a, I don't know, quarterly basis or is it a cup of coffee for most people who can find the time in your diary?
0: no that's not how i think about it at all i think it's it's something that's changed for me as well i think i've learned about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship and i think in the early days it was more mentorship but i'm much more interested in sponsoring people and that is much more active in what you can do for the other person that is the introductions that is making sure that you can suggest people for different roles It it is that how you can really help make a meaningful difference to somebody else's career. And I think, historically, women haven't been very good at that, because there weren't enough women in in senior positions. I do think that the work that we've done on She Means Business, that whole program, which is something now that we launched back, it's about five, six years ago, was about doing that sort of work, but at scale. It's about connecting women to other women, so that they can learn from, and that they can support each other. And, you know that that's been some of the most fun days in the jobs and especially in real life when we when we used to be able to do the big conferences where you saw the people coming together and you saw people coming back to the program and to see the differences that they'd made on not just their own business but also on their on their lives and their families as well to date we've trained over a million women wow. in 38 markets around the world and you know that's been some of the most rewarding and most exciting work that I've had the privilege to to be involved in so mentorship at scale and at sponsorship, much more on a one-to-one.
1: Yeah, quite a distinction. You wouldn't be able to get around to sponsoring a million, that has to be.
0: No, that definitely wouldn't work.
1: That would be a, a lot of introductions. I'm interested in, in 2013, when you joined Facebook, how that came about, because you, you were co-owner of Karma Rama. You'd been there, I think, five years. Facebook IPO the previous year, and, and then you moved in in 2013.
0: Yes, and they approached me, and it was a shock, right? And initially, I, I wasn't really sure. I sort of said no because, you know, Kamarama, we'd, we'd built together with my partners to be two hundred and fifty people, incredibly. Every single one of those interviews, I knew everybody, and then Facebook came knocking. So I initially wasn't sure, said no, and then they came back and talked about the role. And then, I, you know, it started to turn my head. I was very fascinated with tech. I always had been with digital. Uh, and a lot of what Kamarama was about and still is today was about, you know, digital at the heart with this changing, evolving world as was a decade ago. And I'd been the president, I think I was still the president of the uh, Institute of Practitioners in Advertising. And my, my whole mission for the previous two years had been about how to make the UK the leading ad center for, for digital and, and tech. And so I guess it was a, a natural thing when they when when they found me. But it was there was much that was similar and then of course much that was very different to running your own business, where you know, where you're the boss and albeit with partners, but then moving into a bigger American company, although not the scale it is today.
1: Well, no, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, founders, if you were there and started at the kitchen table with a piece of paper, those that are successful, and, and many aren't, they've earned the opportunity to do it their way. And I guess you you had to switch that to, I don't know, do you modify your behaviour or or do you, do you, I mean, you probably think they're hiring you to be you.
0: This is not a company where we're looking to people to modify their behaviour. This is very much a company about, we want you for you and, and bring what you do and bring that into, as was well Facebook. So Facebook in, in EMEA was very small back in 2013. So I, w- I was able to bring a more international lens to the company and, and a lens that, that would ultimately help the, the company to thrive and to grow. What I always set out is that the people that joined to do their best work of their career here.
1: In doing my research, I picked up the anecdote that I think it was your Latin teacher said you needed to totally change your personality if you were going to, to <laughs> prosper. And, uh, and your dad uh, vehemently disagreed and, and you all walked out of the parents' evening. Which is a lovely story.
0: You did do your research. That is absolutely true. Miss Pike, she, um, yeah, told my, told my parents and me to change my personality.
1: And if you're not going to change for Miss Pike, you're not going to change for Facebook or Meta. No,
0: I guess not. That's not. <laughs> that wouldn't be a very good thing. And at the heart of what she didn't like was a questioning mindset. And you know, the thing that I, I hope I've encouraged in my children is, is the ability to, to keep asking questions, to be curious.
1: Look, I must ask about your health. You you went public three years ago. uh, You talked about the follicular lymphoma, which is an incurable blood cancer. You went public to raise awareness about the condition. What I'm curious about, did it ever cross your mind to to deal with this privately? I mean, there there was this time, a lot of people in leadership positions don't like to show vulnerability. You talked earlier on about being a bit more vulnerable. I wonder if it tallied with discovering this condition.
0: I I think it was a journey I was already on. And one of the hardest things I did was when I stood up and shared, I actually did it at our end of year conference at our one of, it was actually a women's event, there were about a thousand women. And I and I told the stories about the fact that I'd had this diagnosis. From being diagnosed with, as you say, an incurable blood cancer called follicular lymphoma, I never made a secret of it. And the very first people I actually shared with it was obviously family, but also work as well, because of I wasn't sure what the impact was going to be. And I have to say that speech was a really hard speech to do. And the reaction that I got to it at the end made me realize it was totally the right thing to do. And that's why I I led early on with sharing why I think vulnerability is important. Bad things happen in everybody's lives. To try and put them under a carpet and just pretend they're not happening. I actually think makes people more stressful. And so if you're doing a, a big job or any job and then on top of that you are having to deal with in my case you know a the realization of having a cancer but b then at some point the the treatment which i then had to go and have i just think that would just almost be totally difficult to be to be able to do that i know that that's not a decision that a lot of people feel comfortable with and i know of other ceos that have got follicular lymphoma that haven't been public about it because they're worried about the impact in that particular company about what it would say, a sign of weakness, to, you know, to be leading and, and having a cancer, like this one. The truth is, with this cancer, nobody can tell me when it's going to come back. So I have had treatment. And to your question, I am well today. So I am grateful for that. And I am looking after myself as as best as, uh, as, best as I can. One of the challenges that I have uh, from a leadership perspective is the world starts to open up is that i'm one of those people that despite having my booster jab i have no antibodies due to both the treatment and the cancer and my weakened immune system so i'm not going into the office i'm not doing meetings like everybody else so that that's something that i'm going to have to work through and you know just stay out of trouble long enough till the amazing doctors and scientists out there find um, some way to give me some protection from covid
1: yeah, I think you know what you've said about it and the coverage of it's been um, inspirational. I know a lot of people have talked about it very openly. I think it's astonishing that there are CEOs in, in your peer group who have something very, very similar and they're able to, or they feel they have to keep that to themselves. I mean, the energy expended on keeping it quiet must almost equate to the energy you need to devote to living with it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And stress is not a good thing for this disease. That is known. And But I think it speaks back to you, the point you were making on leadership styles. If the leadership style that is the accepted is that machismo alpha male, then of course you're not going to show a sign of weakness in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Whereas the style that I think is reflective of who I am is that much more open leader, that, that person that isn't afraid to come with, with all the good and the bad. It's just different.
1: And I always ask people how they keep connected with the grassroots and I suppose we've talked about that through COVID and it sounds like the way you will do it, over indexing on the people, by necessity needs to be very, very virtual for a little bit longer.
0: Yes, it does. I've always been a fan of skip, skip, skip level meetings and just bringing people, different people together at different times to be able to, you know, have conversations about what's going on and about how they're seeing the company. And obviously, we do like everybody else, you know, twice a year, finding out, doing a pulse uh, on the company and how people are feeling, and you know, get a, get a good read from that. But then using that to go into much smaller groups of people of all different levels in different parts of the world to understand what what, what matters to them, what, what are the frustrations. Those are those are some of the best days as well in the job, just hearing what what's going on. Yeah.
1: And is there more about the skills you've picked up along the way? You talked about changing as a leader. I'm wondering if there's sort of flashes of inspiration.
0: Yeah, I think I've learned to trust my gut more. I think that's something that comes with experience. And I I do think there's something about being a woman, and especially a younger woman as I was growing up. I would have these exhausting conversations in my head about whether I should or shouldn't say the thing in the meeting room. And then by the time I'd resolved it in my own head, somebody else had already made a similar point. And so I think over time I did trust, I've learned to trust myself. I think I've learned with that to be more decisive in terms of the decision-making, but also to make sure we have fun along the way. Uh, one, of my, one of the signs that I have uh, in the meeting room, uh, in the conference room, in the office is meetings were made for laughter. And, you know, people spend such a huge amount of time at work that actually not making sure that you're having some fun along the way, even when the times are hard. That you know, I think that matters, and I think that's an important consideration as well.
1: Just finally, I would love your observation. You, we, we've talked a little bit about Mark Zuckerberg. I, I'm interested in how he compares or contrasts with Ivan Menahez. You've been on the board at Diageo for, I think, it's seven years now. You know, Diageo, famous for Smirnoff vodka, Gordon's gin, Bailey's, and so on. I would imagine very, very different characters. Are Ivan maybe calmer, more deliberate? I don't know, but I'm interested in how, how you see them run things.
0: Yeah, so they're very different as leaders, both absolutely uh, inspirational. There's a lot of similarities actually in terms of what matters to them as leaders. So both mission-based, and that was important for me for the companies that that I work for, both very focused on people, both very, very passionate about diversity equity and inclusion and making sure that their leadership teams reflect the people that are using using the products albeit very different products both very passionate and both ensuring that you know the the, the world we leave will be a, a better world whether it's you know sustainability with uh diageo or, or safety with the connections with people you know the world that, that mark's creating with with meta and with the facebook companies so there's just so many things. And there's both people that I find personally incredibly inspiring that I learn from, that I'm inspired by, and that honestly, it's a privilege to be able to work with.
1: I think I've covered most of it. What have I missed, Nicola? What do you need to add on?
0: I think it's about making sure that ultimately, you know, when when I look back on the things that I've done, that I've been blessed to be able to have the experiences that I've had and to be able to think through the fact that I've been lucky to be touched and uh, by and learned from some of the most extraordinary people. But in part, that's also because I, I reached out for people that I stayed curious and that the next big adventure, you know, is still to come. It's like whatever happens tomorrow, that's, that's the thing that I'm lucky enough to be able to, to work towards, not look back, keep looking forwards.
1: Wonderful. Nicola Mendelssohn, thanks so much for the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leading with James Ashton. Please rate and review us if you like what you've heard. There are more than 60 leaders featured in the Leading Archive. In the tech world, you can listen to Mark Livingstone from pharmacy to You, Alice Bentink from Entrepreneur First, and the train lines Claire Claire Gilmartin, talking about their biggest leadership challenge, how they got to the top of their organization, and the advice they offer to the next generation. More details at leadingpod.com and more episodes coming soon.